At Emory University's Guizueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you change business for the better. And in an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark. To achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Guizueta Effect. Hi, I'm Melanie Buckmaster, Director of Communications for Emory University's Coisweta Business School, and your host. Today, I'll be joined by Andrea Hershatter. We'll be discussing millennials in the workplace, including how managers and organizations can harness their unique talents and strengths. We'll talk about this group's unique relationship with technology, their inherent trust in organizations, and hunger for structure and clarity and what they expect from employers regarding work-life balance and social responsibility. Andrea is the Senior Associate Dean of Undergraduate Education at Guizueta Business School. She has led this program for two and a half decades, overseeing its growth and curricular development, and helping to secure its place among the most elite undergraduate business programs in the world. Andrea holds a faculty position in organization and management and teaches entrepreneurship. She regularly provides consultation to top corporations and leaders in academia on the millennial generation. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, happy to be here. So let's start with the basics. How should we think about generations and why does it matter? You know, that's a great question because a lot of people think that dividing cohorts into generations is a construct that doesn't really have much impact, but it turns out that each generation tends to have unique characteristics. So if we think about a generation, biologically that's somewhere between 18 to 22, 23 years that you would expect somebody to then be raising the next generation. Uh, as these things turn out, it's actually been truncated a little bit such that generations get defined maybe by about 15 years. And the fundamental idea is that as babies are born, their parents are raising them in response to what's going on in the world. So they are very much influenced not only by societal dynamics, but also by what they see in the generation coming of age. and parents try to correct for things they don't like. They try to enhance things they do like. Um, dynamics about child rearing emerge that lead them to have certain uh, propensities in the way that they raise their kids. Then as those kids grow, they influence and are influenced by, again, what's happening in the world so that it turns out that generations have personalities. They have ways of knowing things, ways of navigating the world, ways of coming together as a cohort. And those tend to be fairly influential in terms of particularly how they enter organizations and what they expect of those organizations, whether we're talking about schools and, and other institutions or whether we're talking about the workforce. In the context of generations, what is a millennial? <laughs> what is a millennial? A lot of people have adjectives for them. So millennials are so named for the for the class of 2000, the high school class of 2000. So they were born in 1982. That was the beginning of the generation that came of age or entered adulthood at the turn of the millennium. They were 
an incredibly wanted generation, a generation where the media shone the spotlight in really dynamic ways. This was the baby on board, no child left behind. Very, very central generation um, that has gotten a lot of attention. And there are some really interesting theories about how generations behave. But one of the ones that I really uh, admire, it comes from Strauss and Howe, and it includes this thing called the fourth turning. So the fourth turning suggests that generations move in cycles. And one of the things it says is that the generation coming of age is being raised to fulfill the societal gap, being abandoned by the generation that's dying out, which is a lot of words that basically means that millennials are being formed, you know, be, being conceived of as the generation that will replace the GI generation. So the GI generation was the great generation that went forth in the United States to make the world safe for democracy. They became profoundly impactful leaders uh, whose job was to really change and protect the world. And what happened with millennials was they were very much put in a similar spotlight of being expected to grow up to do some, to shoulder some really heavy societal burdens and to have a profound impact on the world. So they were absolutely raised as the next great generation. In your research, you discuss millennials using technology as a sixth sense. Can you talk about the context in which millennials grew up with technology and how this has impacted how they socialize and work? This is a hot button for Gen X, as it should be. Gen X invented this technology. So to call millennials the experts and the digital natives and to disregard the fact that they are utilizing tools that they themselves did not develop um, is a point of contention. But for millennials, technology was embedded into their earliest ways of knowing. It really is a sixth sense. And one of the things about something that's a sense as opposed to an intellectual endeavor is that it is non-cognitive. A millennial would never think of the technological aspect or the technological solution to something. It would simply be a part of how they approached a problem. Um, it is also the case that because it's a sense, millennials do something that people like me occasionally find really, really annoying, where they are utilizing a piece of technology while they're interacting with you in the real world. And I have to remind myself that just like I might scribble on a piece of paper or look out a window while I'm very fully engaged in conversation, so too a millennial might look down at their phone and answer a friend's text, and they are capable of that multitasking in a way that I know I personally am not. Um, in terms of how it influences the workforce, which I think is super important, um, I would say that there, there are probably two aspects. There are the ways that technology um, is important in how millennials work, and then there's the way that technology has to do with reaching the customers and consumers of whatever the product or service is that the firm is providing. So in terms of the workforce itself, I think that millennials feel very free to use the technology that suits the task at hand. Um, it influences, for example, how they communicate. So I know I personally have written 
very carefully crafted emails with lots of words that take me half an hour that end with, and so I think we should meet to discuss this, and I will get back the one-letter response from the person to whom I have sent it, which is K, which is basically a really polite way of saying, you could have just texted me and said, let's get together, right? Because we're going to talk about this anyway. So that is one of, of the examples of the reach of technology and the, the importance of understanding which mode fits the message and the intention. I would say the other thing that really, really matters is if you put a performative life out there, as we have learned to do in social media, but certainly as millennials do much more naturally and Zoomers after them, you develop an expectation of immediate feedback, immediate response, and I think in that sense, your motivations become a little bit extrinsic because of that feedback cycle. So that influences how, for example, you expect to be acknowledged for the work that you do in a company. And I think we've probably seen this too when you were talking about child rearing and school and all of that, just the consistent, constant feedback support of this generation has led to a more extrinsic sense of fulfillment. Absolutely, and and um, you know that's that can be a positive, but it can also be uh, extremely stress-inducing if the feedback you're getting is not positive, um, and it also leads to your own sense of personal agency, whether or not you believe you're in control. To go back to Steve Nowicki, this is the work he does on locus of control. And over time, generations have become more external. And that's problematic because they then no longer believe they're in charge of what's happening to them. And as we saw with COVID, um, when very real world uh, it forces come into play that are out of our control, that that raises the importance and the significance of believing that there are things you can do to influence your own personal circumstances. Millennials cover a wide range of age groups, from the 24-year-old who's just starting his or her career or wrapping up graduate studies to the 40-year-old who's midway through their journey. Can you help us think about millennials as managers and how they might compare to younger millennials just entering the workforce? Yeah, and I, you know, I really want to say that millennial managers want to work for companies where their personal purpose is aligned with the companies, and all of the statistics and the surveys around that were very strong early on. Sort of post-pandemic, later surveys, some with younger respondents report that importance dropping as we go back, sort of go back down Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and people are more concerned now with, with stability, with economic security, than they are with um, something that's closer to self-actualization, which would be higher order purpose. What's really interesting about older millennials, you know, as you pointed out, the oldest of them are like 40. Uh, more than 60% of millennials have direct reports now, and they are really um, impacting the way the workforce is maturing and, and, and uh, the environment and the culture of a particular organization. So 
in a Harris poll uh, that came out recently, we saw that millennials, just like everybody else, want traditional kinds of things, and they are willing to take on supervisory responsibilities because it leads to career advancement or because it's associated with higher pay. And they face the same things. It's hard for them to unplug. They feel burnt out. But one of the things that's really interesting and different is that they've got a less traditional focus. When you poll millennial managers, the things they say are most important are less about operational results or budgetary responsibility and more about how they manage people, how they communicate, how they build culture. So I think that is significantly different. As the younger millennials enter the workforce, they want feedback, they want collaborative opportunities. There's a really good match of values there, but I think what's going to be really interesting is that peer-to-peer millennials are really tough on each other. They are harsh judges with high expectations and because they themselves have been held to high standards, they feel like they not only have to match those but maybe exacerbate them. So it will be interesting to see how they manage um, younger millennials. And younger millennials absolutely want flexibility. That's one of their driving forces. They want autonomy. They want to be physically in the workplace some of the time. But all of the surveys now say nine to five, five days a week in the office is not a desired outcome. So some from home, some later starts, all of those things become very important to them. And the question is, how will older managers, whether they're millennials or Xers, motivate younger workers by giving them that flexibility while maintaining the accountability and performance standards that they want to maintain? In your work, you have an interesting insight. You share that while employees of all generations desire work-life balance, millennials have the confidence and conviction to demand it from their employers. Can you speak to the relationship that millennials have with organizations and what opportunities this might present for companies to recruit and cultivate workers from this group? In, in what I write about millennials and how I talk and think about them, I, I do talk about two overarching identifiers of the generation, and one we've already discussed, which is their relationship with technology. The other one has to do with this thing I mentioned earlier, this fourth turning, and the idea that millennials are the next great generation. So one of the things that happened was when millennials were young, we as parents looked at them and said, boy, you're inheriting a tough world. There's a lot of things that are broken and you're gonna have to fix it, but we don't know exactly what you're gonna need to do. So we as parents put as many tools as we possibly could into their toolbox. Life experiences, after school activities, special lessons, and this happened across every socioeconomic dynamic where the parents devoted more of their discretionary income into raising their children than they ever had previously as an average. And what that did was it made us, us the parents, consumers of those of those offerings. So we didn't drop our kid off at preschool and say, have a nice day. We kind of micromanaged that. We said, I don't want my child reading ready by kindergarten. I want them reading. I, you know, I want to know what they're being fed. I want to know what you are doing to help my child maximize his or her potential. And that 
mentality of the organization molding itself to meet the needs of the generation has persisted. I, we're about to have freshman orientation. At orientation, for really good reasons, many people will get up in front of the incoming class and say something that sounds like, you are our future, we are only as good as you are, we are relying on you to tell us what you need to realize your dreams and move us forward. And that's a really powerful and empowering message to hear. But you can't take those same people who have that tape in their head and have had it in their head their whole lives, and then four years later as they enter organizations say, now, oh, you no longer have a voice. It's the organization that's in charge. So when millennials and now Zoomers say, here's what I need to do my job, it sounds to older generations like that's entitlement or neediness or some other you know, negative kind of propensity. But really what it is is a millennial saying, I really want to contribute. I really want to do my best work. And here's the way that I believe that I can do it. And there have been a variety of responses from no, <laughs> my way or the highway, this organization doesn't change, to organizations that were really built on that idea. I think if you want to take a poster child for that, it's Google. You go out to Google and it feels like a college campus. People have jobs that take maybe 80% of their time and the other 20% of the time is very intentionally supposed to be for cross-functional work, for collaboration and innovation that then benefits the entire organization there it is a lifestyle campus you can have food you can do your laundry whatever you know you can play in the gym and that notion that it supports the whole person i think certainly google believes creates much more engaged um uh, workers who are much more willing to go beyond the functional roles of the job and give everything they have to also help organizational goals. It makes sense because it feels like it would build trust and make you feel as if your company really cared about you and 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 know that if you're fueling the whole person, they're going to bring something better, more innovative, more creative to the table. Let's talk about COVID. So as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the need to work remotely, many employers are reshaping their policies with a greater openness toward telecommuting and flexible schedules. How has the pandemic impacted millennial workers and how have their unique strengths and weaknesses contributed to their ability to perform in this environment? Well, I, you know, the first thing I would say is we don't know. Right? We don't know for any of us how, how these last two years have influenced the future course of our lives. Um, and we're frankly you know, not over it yet. I think for millennials and especially Zoomers, um, at least early on, their comfort with technology and their capacity to multitask gave them a leg up. I mean, we had 50, 60 year old faculty learning all sorts of things for the first time and scrambling to move their classes on the fly to a remote environment. And the students were much more capable of adapting to that than the faculty were initially. I, I, I think 
most universities did a remarkable job of delivering full value of education, but it took a minute, right? For for millennials, for, for Zoomers, that notion of, okay, now it's on a screen and online was not as derailing as it as one might have thought it would be. The issues I think that emerged emerge over time, right? You don't have serendipitous, anecdotal opportunities for interaction and organizational growth. And similarly, you don't have them in your own life for things that spark the way you think about your career or what you might bring to the job. I also think there was an enormous amount of burnout um, from sitting on your butt staring at a screen, and that probably cut some of the organizational learning because people just couldn't face another online tutorial or you know Zoom conference or, or whatever those things might have been. So we have a gap to make up there. I would say that simultaneously, people did develop you know, some skills. Now, if those skills were learning how to bake bread or make pizza, maybe they're less useful in the workforce. But some people took that time to, for example, learn how to code or to discover, you know, a new aspect of, of their industry or, or, you know, things that one could imagine will add real value. And I do think, you know, I said before, there was a, a compromise in the way people formed relationships. That's absolutely true. But the flip side of that is that um, COVID gave us enormous reach. So it was the case that for the first time, people in an organization, for example, could interact easily and frequently with others independent of geography. And I think that added some value and insights that we didn't previously have. I've seen to level the playing field a little bit when it comes to hierarchy, because if you have 10 people on Zoom, each with an equal box, nobody's sitting at the head of the room, nobody's sitting higher up. Uh, I've seen people chime in in new ways that have been very productive. I think that's fascinating. Uh, To go back to the classroom for a minute, there were certainly people who, were previously a little reticent to contribute to a classroom dynamic and with the opportunity to do that in different ways. Maybe you're not a verbal thinker, but all of a sudden you've got a chat box where you could type in a question. And I saw people who had profound insights that might have been lost. So I think you're really right. The question is, now that we're going back to conferences where somebody's at the head of the table, what will happen? How will that uh, impact the way people feel about workplace culture? Have we learned anything? And I, you know, I think the older you are, the less malleable you are, and the less likely we are to have learned something important. And the younger you are, the more, the more you now believe there will be a new way of doing things. And the gigantic thing there is, you know, there, there was a Citrix did a Work 2035 study. They they did it, they surveyed 2,000 millennials and Zoomers, and 90% had no interest in returning to the office full time. want some version of hybrid. Now, only a small percent want to stay at home full time because they miss a lot of what matters in a workplace environment. But, But that idea of choice 
I think is really important. And one of the things that I think should be discussed at the highest levels of every organization is mental health. So we know that in the workplace is better for productivity, but if lifestyle feels paramount, we also know that choice and some time at home is much healthier for mental, you know, uh, uh, relief, less stress, and a healthy work-life balance. I completely agree, and I think if you're not mentally healthy, you can't deliver. You just can't. I think that's 100% true. And then the other thing that's that's non-trivial is commute time. We did see a flight away from urban centers, but young people still, you know, young professionals certainly are still very urban. And it's, it's non-trivial to spend, you know, 45 minutes in each direction. It's, by the time you add in you're walking from parking decks and stuff, it's a couple of hours a day. And when you arrive back home stressed out having spent time in traffic or negotiating mass transit, that's more time that you then need for decompression. So it, I, I, I think some flexibility in workplace is coming. I don't know how soon it's coming, and I suspect again that there will be organizations that are very adept at changing the way they practice their meeting time or what they require in terms of checking off the check boxes of where you are physically and what time you leave, and and some will be very rigid, but uh, Zoomers especially are calling BS on that. The, you know, this this idea that the first person in or the last one to leave is the best worker is does not feel real or authentic to them. So earlier on, you talked about the relationship between boomers and millennials and Zoomers. Um, and in your work, you discuss a unique relationship between boomers and millennials, one that doesn't exist between Generation X and the cohort above them. What are some of the dynamics at play between these three generations? So some of that work was earlier, and boomers are becoming less relevant. I mean, the the youngest of boomers are in their upper 50s and ought to be looking at retirement, whether or not they are. Um, but boomers and millennials had a particular bond, especially early on, where the leading edge of millennials were very um, interested in finding purpose and meaning in life and learning from their elders. I think that all waned uh, with younger millennials, but that particular propensity was so endearing to boomers who had just experienced Gen X, which comes from, uh, we could talk forever about Gen X and what happened, but they were latchkey kids for whom organizations failed them miserably, and they certainly weren't looking to their elders to guide them. So there was a little bit of come here, my child, between boomers and, and millennials. Now what you've got are three different generations. You've got Gen X, millennials, and Zoomers. And I think how that shakes out is going to be really interesting. But Gen X and, and millennials, to me, is... Um, uh, a little bit of a challenge. And uh, one of the analogies I talk about a lot is learning to swim. So when Gen X were babies, 
there was, and I kid you not, you would, you would have to look it up in books because there was no internet. But if you wanted a Gen X baby to learn to swim, the advice was throw them in the deep end, babies float. I mean, that was really quite literally the advice. And people did it. And the kids dog paddled to the edge and they emerged undrowned. But that was sort of a mentality. If you think about how millennials learned to swim, they had floaties and were put in warm water and mom was two inches away and very gently you let the air out. And that has been the exact mentality in organizations. If you poll Gen X, very few of them even had more than a day of training. It was like, there's your desk, here's your job, good luck, may the force be with you. If you sink well, maybe you weren't a good organizational fit. Now we don't even call it orientation, we call it onboarding. And it could last for a month. And it's not really coddling. I mean, all of the organizational research shows that if you teach people how to navigate an organization and give them mentorship and guidance and answer all the questions early on, they do, they are able to contribute more to the organization. But imagine if you were thrown in the deep end and told to float, and now you're watching somebody with floaties around them, that feels very unfair, inequitable. And at the same time, Gen X is the one managing the millennials, and they are having to answer all those questions and help millennials do their job and, and things that are really time-consuming for a generation that has, and I'm talking about Gen X now, really been screwed in a lot of ways, including economically. There was that erosion of middle management, so the people who stayed were asked to do more and more. And the last part of that is that the younger Gen X, members of Gen X now and the um, older millennials are starting to be caught in that incredible pressure moment where they are responsible both for young children at home and for aging parents. And they are the ones that really need the you know, life-work balance. And here you have Zoomers who are like, well, I'd like to go to Cabo on the weekend and I need an extra day off. And they're just looking at them going, are you guys kidding me? So it's challenging. You know, I, I think um, it, it will be a moment where things will have to shake out. You know, young millennials use that OK Boomer kind of tag. They're not really talking to boomers. They're talking to Gen X who they think totally don't get it. And similarly, you've got Zoomers, you know, the TikTok nation making fun of millennials mm -hmm. and in ways that feel a little shocking to those of us who thought that millennials were large and in charge, but now we've got Zoomers out there. So you've told us about millennials and what defines this age group, but what about boomers, Gen X, and Zoomers? Can you tell us a little bit about that generation and the life experiences that have shaped who they've become? Each generation has a particular, if you will, personality and role in society. Uh, boomers who were uh, obviously the baby boom and at their moment of coming of age were, were uh, in the center of a culture and generational war. You know, they fought in and protested Vietnam. One of the things about boomers is that they really redefined culture. They completely uh, shut out older generations in terms of making culture for them and created their own. 
and have held on to that role this entire time. So a friend of mine who used to work at MTV said that boomers have their fingers dug into the shag carpet of the MTV departure lounge. And why that really matters is if you are responsible for creating culture and then later if you're not the people acting in the movies or even producing them, you're still the people with the money green lighting what gets made, then you have a profound influence on how especially and particularly American culture is depicted. And as we know, that entertainment gets disseminated all over the world. Gen X was, um, as they entered school, they were the uh, beneficiaries slash victims of the educational wars, which suggested that there was no longer sort of a common body of knowledge or a canon. And as a result, um, standardized tests became very complicated for this generation because they weren't taught standardized content. So they did less well. Um, on those exams. At the same time, uh, moms went back to school in droves, but we didn't have all of that after school support and infrastructure, so they became the latchkey kids who came home to empty houses. Um, so they were sort of these free thinkers that were dismissed as not that smart and slackers when they were teenagers. And then, oh my goodness, they came of age at the dawn of this new technological revolution. They created the infrastructure and became, you know, essentially everything we think about business now, everything we think about the capacity of information to revolutionize the way we do everything came from this generation. So that's who they are. The last generation you asked me to talk about was the Zoomers, and you know, of course, the jury's still out. If you believe in the fourth turning, they will replace the silence in terms of their societal role. The silence were not so silent. They ushered in the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement. Gen Z is looking around at what they believe to be systemic inequities and they're mad as hell and not gonna take it anymore. I mean, this is the generation with Greta Thunberg and David Hogg, you know, so we've got um, movements about, about gun access, movements obviously about the environment, Black Lives Matter. This generation understands diversity in a way that is really, really hard for older generations to grasp because nothing is binary to them and nothing is fixed. It is about self-identity and grasping the parts of your roots and, and your sense of being that feel the most relevant to you in ways that have created an entirely new language. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they will shape the world in fascinating ways that we that are really TBD right now. So you've worked at Guizueta Business School for more than 20 years, shaping the future of the organization and interacting with thousands of students. What drives you to do this work? You know, absolutely, my my energy comes from the relationships I've developed, some of which are short-term just when they're in school, but many of which have lasted for, from the time that they were 18, 20-year-olds till now. 
and I bring in speakers. I see people at, at events and I see the 18 or 19 or 20 year old in them. And then I see these wonderful, amazing people that they have become and what they've been able to accomplish in their personal lives and their professional lives. And, you know, I get sort of a vicarious fulfillment from that and enormous pride. And I think that playing even the tiniest role in who our students become is a privilege of working at a place like Osweta, which attracts incredibly talented and dynamic people and having the ability to give them at least the content basics and the ways of navigating organizations that will shape them. Um, and one of the things I never get tired of hearing from our alumni is is the one comment that had impact in their lives. And you know, so they'll say, I remember faculty member X said this thing that I promise you that that faculty member has no idea that he or she ever said that has become sort of a mantra for how this person runs their life. And that to me is uh, so fulfilling and so energizing and it is for sure what drives me. So you've talked a lot about the students today. When you think about the students you see in our programs today, what characterizes the next generation and what's in store for the future? Well, if I had a crystal ball, truthfully, I might be doing something other than working in an educational institution. But I will tell you that I think that one of the things that characterizes the current generation, which at least at the undergraduate level is largely the Zoomers that we've talked about, Gen Z, they are very resource savvy. They know how to look around and pick and choose from what's available to them. Do they work cooperatively? Absolutely, but they are masters at sort of the divide and conquer where they find each person's fundamental you know, abilities and sort of challenge them to go forth and use that superpower and then come back and bring it back. I think they are capable of that sort of synthesis and then through the use of technology, um, they have a reach and a capacity for mobilization that will enable them to take these solutions that they invent. So inventing solutions is not unique to any generation, but what you are then able to do with those um, I think is definitely dependent on what tools you have available to you. And the way technology has evolved, the Zoomers have better tools than generations that preceded them. I think they'll activate their potential, um, correct for the societal inequities uh, to a person. This generation is looking around at things that they think are structurally or systemically broken. And I think they'll fix it. And I have great faith in that, and I see great promise for our future. Andrea Hershatter is the Senior Associate Dean of Undergraduate Education at Emory University's Goizueta Business School. She joined us today to discuss millennials in the workplace, including their strengths, shortcomings, and how they show up as workers and leaders. For more information about the Guizueta Effect podcast, please visit emory.biz slash podcast.